Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 105, Hide and Q. Hello, macro heads. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast from 21st Century Earth. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Though given my power, I could be anywhere, assuming I even exist. Each week on the show, we wrestle an episode of Star Trek to the ground to pick it apart, see what makes it tick, and figure out the morals, the meanings, the messages hidden therein. This week... We look at Hide and Q. And, of course, as we always do, we begin with fake trivia with Ken Ray. Uh, alternate titles for this episode, John. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. know this, mostly mm-hmm. because it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ring Around the Q was yeah. one. Uh, right. Kick the Q. I think that was actually... <laughs> they may have actually said that one on the set. And uh, for the teenage listeners, Spin the Q. But that'll be part yeah. of Star Trek The Next Generation After Dark. Right. Uh, for teens. <laughs> right. <you know>? right. <laughs> Relatively, yeah. Uh, Relatively naughty. So that was entirely made up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? I mean, you never can tell. (laughs) No, no, you can't. You, though, don't make up most of your trivia. Most. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty pretty good batting average so far. Yeah. What do you got, sir? So this week, when discussing Hyde and Q, first of all, you know, welcome back. This is the second appearance of Q, who will have uh, a long life in Star Trek. Uh, We also welcome back director Cliff Bowl, who we first met on the episode Lonely Among Us. Uh, Now, the episode here, the, the premise is the game, and Q quotes English philosopher David Hartley, who said, nothing reveals humanity as much as the games it plays. Uh, Now, David Hartley was born in August of 1705, and uh, from a free will point of view, because uh, a lot of the popular philosophers of the time were wrestling with that issue, um, he was a determinist. Uh, So, Ken, you might find this interesting. I'm I'm not nowhere near an expert or very well-versed in uh, in all of this, but uh, David Hartley kind of tried to look at the idea of what are the external and physical components that make us who we are and thus have an influence and direct our free will. So uh, that was the point of view that he was coming from determinist. Our, our will is determined by the physical and environmental components that, uh, that affect us. Now, this is Maurice Hurley's first episode of Next Gen as a uh, story credit and teleplay credit. Uh, he went under a pseudonym here. But he has many, many more credits to come, especially as a producer. Now, prior to Star Trek, a couple of other shows that I liked that he wrote for were uh, The Equalizer and Miami Vice. So if you're playing, uh, you know, 80s TV matchmaker here, that's where he came from. Now, Hurley is very important to remember as we look at the first few seasons of Next Gen here. He joined the production team nearly at the beginning of season one, and he plays a role in some casting changes that will be coming up, as well as the creation of a well-known Star Trek enemy. 
So uh, we will have more discussion about Maurice Hurley as the show goes on. Uh, Ken, I'm sure that you very much enjoyed that we have a bit of a, a Shakespeare smackdown in this episode. <laughs> Wait, was there Shakespeare in this episode? Maybe just a little bit. Hmm. Uh, yeah, okay. and they're referring to William Shakespeare, in case you were you know, confusing that with anybody else. Totally unusual for Star Trek to do Shakespeare. I know, I yeah. know, I know. But there are many... Many quotes pulled here. Uh, All the world's a stage from As You Like It. Uh, Life is a tale told by an idiot, Macbeth. Uh, what a piece of work is man from Hamlet. Uh, we also have the return of a Hamlet line. Uh, this above all, to thine own self be true. Just just Shakespeare all over the place. So we know that the uh, the volumes of Shakespeare at the Star Trek offices were getting worked over time. Now, we mention it because, of course, Star Trek uses a lot of Shakespeare, has used a lot of Shakespeare. But I, I particularly wanted to mention here that Patrick Stewart's acting background, as we probably all know, is Shakespeare. Um, he had appeared in numerous Shakespeare plays by this point in his career. He joined the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1966, stayed there until 1982. Um, and it's funny to me that when he took the advice to look at opportunities in Hollywood, expand his career. You know, he did so reluctantly. And when he landed the role on Next Gen, uh, the LA Times called Stewart the, quote, unknown British Shakespearean actor. <laughs> so, That's so wrong. He was an Excalibur. Uh, he was. He was. He, he was in Dune. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He was Gurney yeah. Halleck in Dune. <laughs> he was. But at least that is how the press looked at him at the That's time. so unfair. Yeah, well, um, we have an older Wesley played here by William Wallace. No, not not the William Wallace you're thinking of is William A. Wallace, uh, to be exact. No, and not uh, William the Wallace. No, 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 no. William A. <laughs> Wallace. He only has the one Star Trek episode and a, a single episode of The Young and the Restless to his credit. And uh, Faith Minton, who I wanted to mention, plays the Klingon female we meet at the end of the show. Um, she has quite a few credits playing tough roles, as well as a number of credits as a stunt performer. It is interesting what gets carried from Star Trek, the original series, into the next generation. For example, what's the most annoying thing you can think to imitate for Picard? A Starfleet Admiral. Prologue. The Enterprise is caught in a serious mission of life and death on its way to help rescue colonists trapped in a mine after an explosion. Also, someone has really got to do something about the new wallpaper they're using in the corridors on the crew quarter decks. For real. Rushing at high warp, the Enterprise is then stopped in its tracks by the energy grid we last saw on the way to Farpoint Station. It's Q. He's back, and he's got a new challenge for the crew. Act 1. Q is ready for another game. In fact, this game is so good that while Picard is working himself into a froth, Q has already transported Riker, Tasha Yar, Worf, Data, and Geordi LaForge to the surface of some planet somewhere. The Ersatz away team have no idea. Then Q shows up to clue them in. He's dressed in 18th century French military garb and invites Riker to sit down for a chat over a tall, cool lemonade, that cool, refreshing drink. Funny, Riker was just thinking of lemonade, and so does Q extend the same courtesy to the others who were there by making a drink appear in everyone else's hands. 
Everyone has what they want, including Worf, who just pours it out and chucks the glass. Q explains that the Q find humanity fascinating, especially after that whole encounter, the one at Farpoint. Humans thrive on change, and the Q want to understand what the humans will change or evolve into. The best way to determine that is to play a game. In this game, the crew must stay alive, or at least one of them, and the reward shall be the greatest thing they can imagine. If they lose, then the loss must also be truly devastating. Tasha has an outburst, because that's what she does, and Q sends her into a penalty box, one from which she cannot escape, and if one other crew member is banished as well, he will displace Tasha into nothingness. Act 2. Remember Captain Picard? While the away team has been trapped in Q's game, Picard has been trapped on the bridge of the Enterprise by himself. Nothing works. He can't even make a log entry. Out of nowhere, Tasha Yar appears, explaining that while the others are dealing with Q, she is now in the penalty box. She breaks down a little. Then Q appears to release her from the penalty while nudging Picard a bit more about his predicament. If Riker accepts the gift the Q offered, then Picard has lost. If Riker refuses, then Picard wins and the Q will stay out of humanity's path forever. Q likes playing these games, you see, because it's the best way to learn who humans really are. Then he joins Picard for another game, a Shakespeare off, where they can slap each other down with famous quotations. On the mystery planet, Geordi is watching as Worf does a little recon. There's a camp of more French-ish soldiers, but these aren't humans in uniform. They're more like a weird combination of half-man, half-bear, half-pig. Not sure what to call that. The animal-like soldiers open fire on the landing party. Their muskets are actually phasers, and it seems that the Enterprise crew are going to eat it. Q, in the guise of Data, shows up to let Riker in on a secret. He has been granted the power of the Q, and all he needs to do to get his crew back to safety is wave his hand, which he does. Act 3. Aboard the Enterprise, things are starting to look a bit more normal. Systems are back online, and it seems like they never even lost a second. Q, taking a page from the Galactic Emperor, halted the flow of time. The mission resumes, but Riker is still on the mystery planet, and he's getting adjusted to his new power. He and Q have a chat in which Q reveals that humans are unique in their drive and curiosity about the universe. There may even come a day when humans are equal to or could surpass the Q in power. This makes the Q interested, but also a little nervous to see what they're up against. So now Riker is one of them. This is a bargain he doesn't want any part of, but there's no time to reflect on that. In a flash, Picard, Worf, Wesley, and others materialize on the planet, and so do more of those weird animal creatures in French military uniforms. The attack begins, and Worf and Wesley are at the business end of bayonets in no time. Riker loses his composure enough to start acting like the Q. He waves his hands, and an energy field blocks the alien soldiers. In another flash, the Enterprise crew are back on the bridge, perfectly safe, with all their wounds healed. Act 4. Arriving at Quadra Sigma 3, the whole point of the mission to begin with, Picard tells Riker he can't give in to using the power the Q have given him. We, humans, aren't ready for it. Riker gives the captain his word. 
In the location of the mining disaster, the landing party finds just a handful of survivors. Jordy spots one more beneath a pile of rubble, but they're too late. It was a little girl, and she's gone. But Riker could save her. He doesn't, though. He promised Picard not to use his power. Now that the mission is over, Riker has got a serious attitude problem. He could have saved that girl, and now he wants a meeting with the bridge staff to let Captain Picard have it. Wait, not Captain Picard, but rather Jean-Luc. They're buds like that now. Picard goes along with it. The staff and Wesley are assembled on the bridge, while Riker tries to give the old look, I'm the same guy you've always known speech that you hear lottery winners give. Just because I have the powers of a god doesn't mean a thing. The crew are not having it. They can tell Riker has changed. Then Q, dressed as a monk, shows up to drive the wedge further by asking Riker if these people are truly his friends. Act 5. As Q and Picard wrestle, not literally, for Riker's loyalty and better judgment, Riker offers to demonstrate his power and affection for his crew by giving each a gift. Picard agrees to the offer because, come on, this is totally a setup. Riker goes around the room, and the gifts are a little different from what one might pick up at the average mall. Wesley gets turned into an adult. Data refuses the offer to be turned into a human. Geordi gets his eyes. Worf gets a Klingon female because, yeah. Worf declines. Even Wesley, the, the strapping young adult Wesley, turns down his gift. Riker sees the whole game unraveling in front of him and tells Picard he feels like a fool. With Q having lost the wager, well, he claims he doesn't remember the wager. And the rest of the Q call our Q back to the continuum, and he seems a little terrified and upset at the prospect. Now that he's gone, Data asks Picard why Q would have so much power over time and space, yet no clue how to understand humanity. Picard, in agreement surmises that humans may still be more complex than the secrets of the universe. The end. So I have a proposition for you. Go ahead. I said a couple of episodes ago that I didn't know how long we were going to, you know, spend mourning the Tasha Yar character mm-hmm. and the idiotic ways in which she's written. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you, by the way, because you did not even begin to approach how dumb she was treated in this episode. I, yeah, I, I couldn't. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking I'm just going to I'm going to use like a like a set of code words or a set of words that you mm-hmm. and I and then anybody who listens regularly will understand that, you know, something dumb has happened with Tasha that had absolutely no bearing on anything else that happened in the episode. Because mm-hmm. so often that seems to be the case. I'm thinking the words I plan to use are a poorly written Tasha Yar exists because that's pretty much what she's there for. Right. Yeah. Be yeah. there and say something dumb. Now, that might not move descriptions along quite as much. So I might you know, like throw in a couple of, you know, just a couple of words like Yar moves to attack Q because a poorly written Tasha Yar exists. <laughs> oh or gosh. Lieutenant Yar makes a clumsy pass at the captain mm. because a poorly written Tasha Yar exists. That was kind of the trouble that I had in yeah. the summary because I, I felt like that scene. <laughs> You know, the thing is that that scene could not exist in this episode and we would be fine. And we see we would be better. Well, well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We we see that, you know, Q is trying to make the point of I can banish you and I can kill you. And if one of you slips up, 
that she will die. All right, so we raise the stakes a little bit. But once we get her on the Enterprise in the penalty box, that scene is clumsy and uncomfortable and awkward and has no yeah. bearing on the story at all. So I left it out. And we haven't <laughs> seen anything like this to this point either. And I know I'm saying no. we don't want to talk about how dumb Tasha is. But, I mean, not dumb. Not the ugh, not how dumb she is. Not how dumb Denise Crosby is. But, boy, oh, boy. It's like it's like everything. It's like every scene that she has is written by Mad Libs. Yeah. You know, right, I mean, it's right, just absolutely right. insane. So Picard says, so she's in the penalty box and she knows that she could die if something goes wrong. And she's right there on the bridge of the Enterprise and she's upset and she starts crying. And then she overacts the fact that she's upset that she's crying. But Picard gives her permission to cry. And then she turns around and says, boy, you know, if you weren't captain. And at that yeah. point, Picard whoa. should really be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said you had permission to cry. I don't know what this is you're doing, but dial it back like nine. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> right. That was and just- then, but- but then Q shows up and he actually is that a tinge of sympathy? I mean, I, I no, he's, he's like he's given Picard grief for hitting yeah. on Tasha, which he never did. Yeah, but but he releases her. Yeah, he does that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, which, is, which is I guess nice. I mean, he's never gonna. Well, we don't know that yet for sure. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Does Q kill anybody? Well, we'll find out as we we'll go. We'll find out. Yeah, no, so far, so yeah. far, he's like, I'm going to kill all... Yeah, I'm not going to kill you guys. Go on. Get out of here. I'll see you next mm. week. Well, not next week, but in a few weeks, probably. Anyway. So, uh, you know, Ken, we got the return of Shakespeare. We also have the return of one of those glamorous professions of the future. When Star Trek doesn't know what people should be doing, if they're not a starship captain or a doctor, yeah. we make them miners. Yes. There's this mining all over the universe. And can I ask a question? Do they have minor mm-hmm. miners? Because what was that, <laughs> that, what was that little, girl? little girl doing at the like entrance to the mining thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we know that they were colonists. Okay. But but they're they're colonist miners. They're it's minor colonists. Mining colony. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time believing that. I believe the agrarian colonies. I believe they're going to mm-hmm. you know, terraform a new planet colony. Is this like those cotton colonies that people had back in the day? I mean, how is this? Or pineapple colonies, maybe? I mean, what do you want to... It's, it's, it's hard for me to believe that there are people in the Federation who are like, ah, you know, things here are just too cushy. I want to yeah, go someplace yeah. where I have to, like, dig. No, like, really dig. No, no, no. Digging's too easy. Give me a pickaxe. Yeah. But we learned that a couple of episodes before. Picard says, yeah, look, our uh, some of our people want to go – they want to strike out and create a new life for themselves. Yeah, they want to create a new society. They, I mean, they don't yeah. want to go and – because you got to assume, okay, so it's a mining colony, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the planet's for. So it's like Praxis for the uh, Klingons, right? It was yeah. their energy-producing planet. So I don't think these people are starting a new society, you know, mining something for themselves and their society. Right, I mean, they're, they're serving some other purpose, right? And yeah, I then, think. and yeah. then it's hard for me to believe that. I mean, unless the pay is just that good, <laughs> right? But then, what are they paying them with? Because there's maybe money, maybe not. <sighs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And just make them miners because <laughs> poorly written miners exist, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So, yeah. um, so I, there was a line that Q had that I absolutely loved. Yeah. Because what's his name? John Delancey. I love John Delancey as Q, but he's obviously going to come into that character a bit more. He was way over the top in parts of this. Um, sure. Oh, your species is always suffering and dying. I love that. <laughs> They're like, we're on our way to save some suffering and dying people. Uh, again, with the suffering <laughs> and the dying. You people all the time. I got to say, too, I love Data's ability to totally grasp how illogical the whole Q thing is and then just absorb that and it becomes part of his logic, right? Mm, That's what mm-hmm. I started off the show with. Given Q's power, we could be anywhere, assuming this place even exists. 
really his positronic brain should be oozing out of his ear <laughs> right, at the right. lack of logic there. But he's like, yeah, you know, you come to think of it, we might not even be here having this conversation right now. Yeah. And then everybody else's brains should have started oozing right, out of their ears. Right. Except, of course, for the macro... Uh, macro head? Macro head. Yes, except for the macro head that is... Uh, that is a Klingon, because I imagine that just that, that kind of logic or ill logic would just bounce off that uh, incredibly yeah. rigid carapace of a forehead and, and, that he has. And nobody defends him. And nobody <laughs> can, usually Q throws out that line. Yeah. And, 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 and Picard's not like, uh, you're talking about my crew member. They just all kind of like, uh, yeah, okay. Well, that would be like, you know, <laughs> honestly, though, if you had to refute every insult that Q threw around, that would be the whole episode. <laughs> Very true. That might be a fun episode. That would actually be a great episode. I would love it. That's a robot chicken episode right there. <laughs> get yeah, get those guys back together just to Hey, that's not nice. Oh. Right. Oh, you don't right. think so? And <laughs> that's the whole right. episode. Something between refuting all of his insults and, and, and psychotherapy on Well, why do you think you lash out, Q? <laughs> right. Right. I also Wait. found it there was one other thing that I found fascinating when we were down on the planet. Jordy mm-hmm. can see better with his visor than Data can see with his robot eyes. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's on the third ridge, and and Data's like third ridge, and they're both <laughs> looking in the exact same place. I mean, Jordy's mm-hmm. got Jordy's got some serious stuff going on with that visor. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that they didn't put whatever that technology is into Data's eyes. Well, wasn't um, we don't know anything about how Data was built, so I can't say what yeah. I was about to say. So maybe something like that will be explained at some point. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And it is interesting, though, that, you know, when LaForge is given his eyesight and he, he looks at Tasha, which I, I think we'll come back to in a moment, um, he looks at it, wow, you're more beautiful than I thought. Well, Jordy, you can see everything. In fact, you see too much. You see, you know, spectra that we can't as human beings. So it seems like he would have been able to piece that together in his brain. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming too much, maybe. That's kind of weird. I don't, yeah, it's it's sort of weird that that, that would be his response. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Has he ever been able to see or was he born without sight? I think we know that he was born without sight. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, I, I would actually think that he would have either just started crying immediately or started yeah, freaking right. out at what everything looked like. Yeah. And also, way to insult everybody else on the bridge. You yeah, look right. around at everybody right. and you're like, wow, you're the pretty one, the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gates right. McFadden is like, I'm right here, you yeah. know? I mean, anyway. Sorry, hey, Dr. Hey, Dr. Crusher, a- not Gates McFadden. Dr. Crusher, excuse me. Right, right. Hey, he even gets a little shout-out to adult uh wesley's yeah, hey that's, that's, hey not bad that's before he can see though yeah that true. would have been actually weird if he had like turned to adult wesley and gone you're even more handsome than you <laughs> dude i've been here for like 45 seconds you were really okay huh jordy yeah. is a multi-layered character <laughs> he is an interesting individual yeah. A few times now on the show, we've uh, we've made references to French history and Picard's proud, uh, uh, say, you know, French pride. And, and as a little bit of a Francophile, I'm glad to see that we learn even more about, uh, you know, French history, the uh, the marshal's outfit and the, the muskets. And uh, that, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Glad to see that. Um, Q referred to uh, just kind of in a throwaway that the Federation had defeated the Klingons. I, did he mean that literally, or did he just mean that now the Klingons are working side by side, that we, we kind of got our way? Uh, once again, uh, no argument from anybody. No, even not at Worf, all. Even Worf didn't say, hey, hold on a second. 
our, our moon blew up, and then we had we had some tough negotiation, but eventually we came to this place where we can kind of be okay occasionally. Yeah, yeah. We like to think of it as making peace, not accepting defeat, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, it, did you, like I, keep thinking of Time Bandits when Q was offering this unnamed prize to Riker? I kept thinking of in Time Bandits saying the most fabulous object in the world is what they were going to get. No, just me? Um, I love Time Bandits, but no, it did not automatically do that for me. Honestly, what I kept thinking about the whole episode was, what was the planet that um, Pike and Vina were on? Oh, I, well, you mean uh, on Talos Four, or did they ima- when they imagined themselves? When elsewhere? they imagined themselves, were they on Rigel? Uh, yeah, part on Rigel, and there was one bit on Earth, but... Yeah. No, I was thinking about the part on Rigel, because that yeah. sky reminded me very much of the sky on Rigel. That's, oh, so that's yeah, what I kept yeah, getting yeah, distracted yeah. by. I, I get what you're saying about the Time Bennett thing, mm-hmm. but I mean, Q really should just sort of give you that Time Bennett vibe anyway, though, shouldn't they? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, and Q had that log entry. Uh, I like that he takes a shot at Picard. It's, you know, we, we, we chose Riker essentially because Picard is too bound by Starfleet rules and tradition to be useful. <laughs> <laughs> like Q, Q actually uh, uses the captain's log to, uh, to sort of poke at Picard twice. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that even when Q wasn't there, he was still screwing with Picard because nothing works. He yeah. can't even leave the bridge. He's, I mean, everything is just completely inert. And so he sits down to do the captain's log. He says, captain's log. And it says, Carpenter. And I'm like, right. wow, that's, Q is just like screwing with him like six ways to Sunday. But it is interesting that, uh, it, you know, for Picard, and there's so much good that can be said about Picard. You know, mm-hmm. we, for as many shots as we've taken at the character of Tasha Yar, we, we really exalted Picard and, I, and how many great features he has. But I, this I, might be a negative trait. I do not feel that we have taken shots at Tasha Yar. I feel yeah, the, writers the writers have took taken shots, shots at Tasha, Tasha Yar. Yar. Now, I yes. apologize. Now, that said, uh, what yeah, you're saying, that sort of uh, Picard's powerlessness without anything? Well, yeah, his powerlessness and and his rigid adherence to custom and tradition. You know, maybe that uh, that blinds him in some respects. I, I think maybe we'll get into that more in our discussion when we talk about the whole God thing and the the powers that Riker is given. But but maybe Q's got a point here that Picard is so rigid and narrow in his his look at his duties and his look at exploration. We know that Picard loves to explore. Mm-hmm. We we know from Lonely Among Us that this is something that drives Picard, but he still binds himself in this Starfleet custom and tradition that maybe limits him in some ways. Maybe, but it could also go to the, which episode was it where they, where they said, we've been trying to communicate with them and, 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 and Troy said, well, try saying something interesting. I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. he was coming at it in the wrong way. Right. I mean, there, we know, I mean, if we assume that Lonely Among Us, that that was both the alien and Picard working together to decide to go explore the galaxy, mm-hmm. Q's just just going like to full frontal assault. I yeah. mean, and he, I mean, there are ways that he could actually weasel in and weasel through, theoretically. Although mm-hmm. with Q, Picard's always going to have his guard up in a way that he wouldn't have with the unseen alien that maybe possessed him when he touched the board. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say. But yeah, they, they're coming in going, I'm going to take you over. It's not going to work with Picard as much as, hey, do you want to go you want to go look at something? Maybe that would be kind of a, a better yeah. way to do that. Uh, why was I so amused that they kept calling the French uniformed soldiers the animal things? It just seemed like a running gag I through don't the know. episode at some point. Yeah. 
This is like the only thing they knew to call them. Right. You know, yeah. um, I guess I was reminded of McCoy in uh, the motion pictures saying, why is it that anything we don't understand, we call a thing? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you call it? Well, yeah. Yeah. We don't really have a better word for it. There was uh, an exchange when Monk Q shows up and uh, he says, let us pray. Picard says, let us, new do, let us do no such damn thing. Um, it was interesting that Q would show up in that outfit at all. I, I, Q has a flair for the dramatic. Yes. He, he makes a lot of costume changes, and Picard calls him out on that. But um, the, the, the monk thing, I, I, I don't know. It, 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 to choose that to display some sort of solidarity with Riker... I thought was uh, was an odd but interesting choice. And uh, also odd but interesting was Picard using the term flimflam man, which is a, a very outdated and underused term. Q tries to make himself and his continuum seem so special, but does it not stand to reason that there would be A through P continuums as well? So this is one of those uh, fine line topics that I want to try to walk very carefully. Almost like a tightrope topic, because if you fall on this one... You could offend yourself, or you could offend other people and certainly end up hurting yourself. It seems possible. You were talking about the, the big animal, bear, whatever, the animal things. Yeah. Uh, it seems possible that there's a statement being made in making the soldiers mindless animals. Uh, mindless animals. Now, I don't think it's one that anybody would you know sit down and say, well, individual soldiers, obviously, are these individual idiot things. It feels more like it's Q, just sort of, just like putting pieces on the board. These are not things that you're going to be able to reason with. These are just things that have one thought, attack, attack, attack. And they don't even look like anything you could talk to. It's like when you go to the circus and there's a monkey dressed up, you know, or a bear dressed up. That's not something you're going to try to talk to, even though it's wearing clothing. Had he sent, you know, a group of scholars or philosophers approaching the crew, then the crew might have tried, you know, talking to them or might have tried coming up with a different way of dealing with them. He makes them animals because there's, I mean, he's basically taking any other option off the table at that point. Your two options are fight or flight, right? Those are the only two options that you're going to have with these things. You're not going to have a, because I mean, you can train an animal, but that takes time and you have to have treats and, you know, (laughs) there have to be (laughs) positive rewards and negative rewards and, you know, they're coming at them with guns. So yeah, yeah. I still can't say why they didn't have another name for them, why they didn't come up with a different name for them. But it did feel to me like there was maybe a tiny bit of a statement there, just the whole, you know, I mean, just a very simple might does not make right thing. It's it's not logical. It's not sensible. It's just to either be, you know, dealt with or avoided, at least in this particular episode. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you saying that the, the first thing that popped in my head was a vision of uh, all the great philosophers of history uh, being outfitted with military uniforms and bayonets and chasing down the crew. I thought that would be that could be a really interesting episode as well. And, and what, um, I, what I actually thought of when I originally thought of that was um, mm-hmm. the philosophers uh, soccer game from Monty Python. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, yes. they blow yeah. the whistle and then they all just sort of walk around and walk contemplate around. the ball. For <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that when watching it for, for the first time and, well, in each subsequent time that I watched it, you know, these 
these beings are mindless, shall we say, soulless pawns on a chessboard who are just created to be easy to kill. Um, or, or at least to give our crew no second thoughts about killing. Mm-hmm. So, and it seems maybe a little bit out of step for Q, um, unless he's projecting that far into the future about how this game will play out when he gives the power to Riker, that, well, really all we are testing is just military strategy and might. Um, oh, oh, I disagree. To, I, I, it felt uh, to me like, I mean, this is... This is um, Han and Luke and Leia and the trash compactor, or this is Indy. Um, so Harrison Ford all the way around, I guess, when he's in that room and the, and the and the walls are closing in and the spikes are coming out and all that stuff. I mean, this is mm. to push them to an action. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. I don't. It okay. didn't feel to me like it was overly making a statement about military anything. It was just. I mean, there's. I mean, this is not something you're going to be able to outsmart. Yeah, and yeah. this this is a this is a this is an unstoppable force that's coming toward you, and you're not going to be able to reason with it, and you're not going to be able to to to, to cheat it, and you're not going to be able to trick it. You're either going to have to kill it, or you're going to have to leave. Yeah, you're going to have to come up with something completely different than what you're thinking, because you can stand here and shoot all day, but since I can keep making them all day, you will literally be standing here shooting all day. Right. So, right. so what's your actual play here? Because I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't have your usual. Oh well, we'll talk to them. Which it's great that that is actually the usual thing for this enterprise. The usual thing for this enterprise is, well, let's talk to them and see if we can't work something out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wh- which part do we talk to? And did he dress himself or did somebody else do that? Because he's not smart. I mean, these right. things are just right. these things are just death basically coming towards them. Yeah. So I don't know. It didn't, like I say, it didn't feel like overly a statement. Although it's possible that there is a statement about just dumb military force versus yeah. you know intelligent um, intelligent recon and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah. It was just something that leaped to mind to me. It, it was like a drawing of that, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that when you watched this, you must have had the same thought that I did. Uh, that uh, it, maybe we call it an homage, or, or at least a similar story thread to where no man has gone before. Uh, Gary Mitchell taking on the powers of a god, very much like Riker here, mm-hmm. um, although it, you know clearly it plays out differently. Um, but I immediately thought of that, that uh, hopefully this was not an example of the well of story ideas running dry, <laughs> but rather that this was a, another interesting line to to go down and explore with this new crew. And what, of course, when we talked about Where No Man Has Gone Before, we talked about this idea uh, of this this thread of absolute power corrupts absolutely, which they, they just go right ahead and state in this episode. Yeah. Um, and I would argue, uh, except for when it doesn't, but it does for Riker. He is at least on this path to corruption. Um, oh, okay. And, okay. Oh, I, okay. It, it very much plays out like that, I think. And and he, <sighs> he has to learn his lesson very quickly. And he learns it, um, at least as everyone turns against him, he learns it. Um but, you know, I, I think I argued back at the time that we talked about where no man has gone before and when this plot line or this this philosophical line has come up again, that it may not necessarily be that simple, that it isn't just you give somebody power and then they become corrupt, but rather people who have power are able to play out their moral choices on a bigger and grander scale that may have more effect. At least that's what kind of current 
science says about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, but let, all right, let, let's talk about the Riker thing here. Let's talk about uh, this path that he could have gone down. Okay. You're, assume, <laughs> you're assuming from the start that it's corruption. No, I, I'm saying that Picard calls him out saying that this is corruption. Mm. Okay. I don't, I don't know that I agree. Well, I mean, <laughs> that will I will not I, surprise I, you, I feel certain, but I don't know that I agree. This is probably yeah, the yeah. most like Kirk that Picard has ever been. Oh, more mm. powerful than me? Hmm. Not sure that's going to work out for me, though. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, you're bad and you need to be better because check the pips. I was, I was honestly, <laughs> right. I mean, there's, I mean, he didn't, he didn't take over the ship. He did not, you know, usurp the captain, which is certainly something that Q would have done sure. on his own. And what he actually did was, I mean, rather in sort of an ill-advised way, he tried to give everybody what he assumed they wanted. Now, the thing to actually do would have been to ask them, which he did do for no one. <laughs> no, right, right. But he could have done that. I mean, he didn't, he didn't say worship me. He didn't say love me. He didn't say accept my gifts or I will. What he did was he actually knows all of those people he thinks well enough to, you know, give them what he thinks they want. We know that Jordy wants his sight. I don't understand why Jordy returned his sight. I don't understand why Data decided to not be human. He's saying it wouldn't be real for him. It would be real for everyone else, but not for him. Mm-hmm. So Data is choosing to always want but never have. And and believe we will be coming back to this at the end of the show. Sure. Well, right. but hang on just a second. I, I, I don't want to get too far off the, the path of your thought here. But, you know, one thing, particularly with Jordy, okay, we'll use the word worship, which maybe is the extreme version of this. But Jordy said that he's giving back that gift because he doesn't like who he would have to thank. And it, at least in Jordy's logic, that that thanks you know, how long does that go on? It's like, does that get thrown in his face every time where Riker says, hey, remember what I did for you? I gave you your sight and I can take it away. So, you know, the- anybody who hasn't seen The Dark Knight Rises, this is your five second warning that I'm going to spoil part of it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Has it been five seconds yet? Yeah. What about now? Yeah. You think it's been five seconds? Still. All right, good. <laughs> so Dagonet, uh, I believe is the guy's name, the guy who uh, is on the uh, uh, board uh, uh, board of directors, the Wayne board of directors, has been bankrolling Bane all the way through, right? And he's mm-hmm. expecting Bane to do stuff for him. And then Bane is not doing stuff for him. And Dagonet says, hey, I've been bankrolling you. And Bane says, and you think this gives you power over me? Okay, thanks for the eyes. That's really all it is. He doesn't owe Q at that point. He doesn't owe anybody anything at that point. As long as he says, like, a nice thank you, what's Q going to come back and be like, okay, now look at these drawings I did. No, I can't look at your drawings. Oh, but I do owe it to you because you did give me the eyes. It just, it, it, again, we will really come back to this later. So you can, we can wander away from this now because we're so coming back to it. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, let's talk about the data thing. All right. Well, yeah. it's the same thing, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to wonder that, you know, data. The only da- person I agree with, I'm sorry, I agree with, I agree with Worf for, for, for refusing the sex slave or, if you, or refusing the woman yeah. that he's not in love with to have sex with or whatever. I mean, also, 
ooh, and then also, also really right there on the bridge. I mean, so maybe he'd have been like, yeah, you know, if you could have done this in my room like 20 minutes later, I'd be fine. We don't really know what his deal is with that. Actually, he does say it's it's part of a culture that he's not part of, whatever. Data basically, Worf basically says that he's taken this essentially like a vow of celibacy, that, that he has no room for that in his life anymore. Oh, I don't think he's taken a vow of celibacy. I think maybe he's taken a vow of I, I wouldn't do it with a Klingon woman. Mm. Because, I mean, what he says is that's no part of his society. He doesn't say that or no part of his life anymore. He doesn't say that sex is no part of his life. He's saying whatever it is they're doing at his station is you no know, part of his you, life. You can't satisfy what he, he wasn't interested when he met the Edo. Yeah. And he's not interested when you give him a Klingon woman. He, Worf, man, good luck. Yeah. I, 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 well, I think you actually found out somewhere in your notes. Why is Riker so interested in Worf's sex life? <laughs> I know. Right? That's a that's a very yeah. odd thing. No, the one that I agree with most, honestly, is Wesley. Because, I mean, it, it's like an episode. Well, not an episode. It's like the movie Big, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It might be fun to be an adult for a while, but there's a lot of stuff that he wouldn't understand, a lot of stuff that he wouldn't know. And, you know, probably when I was 15, I would love to have been 25. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, though, it's probably good that I didn't just jump immediately to it. And, sure. you know, I, with Wesley, I absolutely agree with his decision. I don't buy that Geordi wouldn't want his eyes. I don't buy that Data wouldn't want to be human unless Data is actually really going to spend the rest of his life always wanting something that he will never be able to attain. And why would he choose that? Then we have to come, we have to wait until we do the wrap up. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with Data, uh, this is tough because, you know, we're only so many episodes and we don't know everything about Data's programming. And, you know, again, Data is. A, a what do we say a manufactured intelligence um, uh, not uh, artificial yeah he, right, he right, a, right he is a manufactured intelligence he has certain parameters to his programming and maybe that programming is to understand humanity but to say that his programming compels him to be human is a different thing if he's handed that if it's Pinocchio and we just say okay poof now you're human maybe that doesn't jibe with Data's sort of uh, self-identity. Or, because his identity at this point is that he is an android who is programmed to do these things and programmed to try to understand these things. Or for some sick, twisted reason, is he programmed to want to be human? Yeah. But right. not, I mean, something they can never, ever be, something they can never yeah. attain. And is that why he stops Riker? Because his programming says that what he's supposed to do is strive to be human. You know where this discussion is going. Please, let's go to something else because otherwise I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish the show right now. I'm going to pick up my mic just so I can drop it and I'm going to walk off. Well, let's talk a little bit about Riker and and his powers because I I did have to wonder. You know, you you pointed out here's Picard basically in a position of saying, no, no, I'm I'm still the captain. Even if you have all these powers, I had to wonder what if Picard had been given those powers. We use technology, we use power in Star Trek to do good things far beyond our abilities now in the 21st century. And that is one of the hallmarks of Star Trek is saying that human beings basically are good and given a choice, they will do the right thing. And even if they have better technology to accomplish those things, they will still use that for good. We couldn't save that little girl in the mining colony, the colonists who are miners, um, but we are able to save other people who, under different circumstances, would have died. You know, that, that's something that this Enterprise crew goes around the galaxy doing, trying mm-hmm. to help other people who would have otherwise died. And 
you know, Riker is by all accounts a moral person who who has good intentions. Um, so then it did make me wonder about that message, like in Where No Man Has Gone Before, that, that there is a certain point where we still can't be trusted, or or is that that the message is we have to earn it? Um, but even then, if we earn it, who's to say that there aren't those who would abuse those powers? Or maybe we're just looking for the right checks and balances. Maybe that's an evolved trait that we have to evolve those checks and balances at the same time in order to not tip that balance of power. So the whole time, it it made me really wonder why Riker. Did Q just assume, well, if we give this to Picard, either A, he will just flat out refuse it and hand that power back, or it would be boring because he is so tied to those Starfleet rules and regulations that he will only use those powers within those very tight confines. Um, So I I, I posit my own theory here. Compared to Picard, maybe Riker isn't that bright. And maybe Q picked him because Riker seemed like a good average choice. You know, Picard, uh, or Riker rather, has a lot of drive, and he's not Picard's intellectual equal. He, he's maybe more motivated by his gut, whereas Picard is motivated by the, the intellectual decision. He likes to mull things over. Um, and I say all that not to denigrate Riker. I have a lot of love for Riker. Um, there's something about him that's a little more raw than the others on, on this bridge crew. Maybe this is made more acute uh, by this episode. Um, but man, does he get smug really fast who right yeah yeah he does yeah he does yeah yeah i don't let let me back up for a second i don't know necessarily that i mean this is only the second time we've seen q and Mm -hmm. and i think this is a bit more difficult for us to stay away from things in the future because we're probably a bit more familiar at least i know i am a bit more Mm -hmm. familiar with next gen at this point though it's possible he's just working his way through all of the people you know that we know on the enterprise mm-hmm. you know what i mean cuz there's only I mean, he's he's starting at the top and working down he started with picard oh that was interesting that's how picard handled that okay great let's go to number 2 actually number 1 let's go to the second <laughs> command who we call number <laughs> right. 1 because that's not confusing at all right and then who knows who he's going to do next you know or who knows what he's going to do next if there even is a next because even though we actually do know that at the end of this episode it really doesn't look like he's being called back to be chastised it looks like he's being killed on his way back to the cube yeah 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 so I don't know. I mean, it's I kind of get what you're saying. It's possible that he's picking on uh, Riker because he's not quite as bright. It's or he perceives him as not quite as bright. It's also though that it's possible that the best way to study humans is to study more than one, and so he's just you know working through the thousand whatever on the Enterprise. Yeah, I mean, I had to wonder where, what the the time limit would be on this test of of Riker's power. I mean, it, it seems from all intents that Riker is acting out of compassion, that by by stopping the animal thing soldiers, by saving the crew, putting them back on the Enterprise, and, and that challenge, that test of him going to that, uh, that mining colony, he wants to save that little girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if they had been five minutes earlier and she was wounded but not dead they would have used every other bit of power and every other bit of technology that 24th century technology allows them to save that little girl Mm -hmm. so Riker, with his new q powers we're really just looking at one step further so 
I, I guess we have to question then how long does Riker have those powers before he becomes the same as Q? Because what Q represents, he's got this curiosity, but this sort of lack of compassion. You know, you called out that great line. You know, your your species is always suffering and dying. Yes. Like, you know, I had to sort of throw that away because I don't care. And I thought then that maybe we're back to this classic discussion that we've had in other episodes of Star Trek about compassion being at the core of what makes us human. And and Picard recognizes that in Riker, that the further he goes down into this rabbit hole of experiencing these powers, the further away he gets from that that center, that moral center, that compassionate center of, of being human. Hmm. All right. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's assuming an awful lot, though. I can't help but mm-hmm. think that this is more about unchecked power mm-hmm. and the power structure not being happy when unchecked power comes from below. Mm. And maybe I'm, you know, and we'll, we'll again, we'll come back to that a bit later. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. that's really the only reason that Picard can actually be against this, right? Let's say they had given this to Troy. Okay. Troy can feel, right? Yeah, Troy can feel what everybody does and, and like how they're feeling, and and she's there to help and she's there to understand. So if they'd given it to somebody who that's like that's the core of their being, would Picard have been more okay with that, or would he still see too much power that he can't control? Well, I, don't, I mean, there's okay. a there's a tenuousness about it. Really, is fascinating. There's a tenuousness again. We're addressing this, um, and I think this is the second time that we've done this uh, here. The first one was the naked now. Right mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when Picard's like I'm the captain I got stuff to do and Wesley's like Yeah but you don't really do anything you, you tell people to do stuff and then they do it so why don't you tell me what to tell them I'll tell them and they'll do it or you tell me and I'll just go ahead and do it myself because I'm not smart right you kind of got the same thing here where he's like like Picard is rankled that that Will is no longer calling him captain he's calling him Jean Luc that he is saying that he called a meeting and and Picard's like uh, I allowed you to call this meeting. Right, it's right. really cute that he says that, and 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 Riker does not argue with him because he understands the dance that they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what really seems to bother Picard is I'm I'm losing control of this situation. It seems to yeah. me. I mean, it, 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 the, the hierarchy is being questioned at this point, even more than Riker's going to turn into something bad. There seems to be Riker is now something that I can't control, and I've never seen Picard as a control freak. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to be, you know, captain of a galaxy class star cruiser by going, well, no, what do you think? I'm mean, no, really. What do you? In fact, we're just going to go with whatever you think. I mean, he'll hear from other people, but in the end, it's his decision. And there is now something on the Enterprise that doesn't really give a wet slap about his decision. I mean, in fact, Riker is willing to live by what Picard said and what Riker said. He gets down to the planet. He wants to save that girl. He's told Picard that he's not going to save the girl. Once he decides that what he really wants to be is a Q, he could then break his word to Picard and go ahead and save the girl anyway. If that's what's mm-hmm. been troubling him this whole episode, do it. You got the power of the Q. You can have 10 of those girls if you want to. You can, <laughs> one for every planet you go to to thank you every time you go there for saving her life that one time, right? Yeah. He's still morally bound. He's still bound by what he said he would do. But he's not really as controllable as he used to be, so that's kind of gal. But at which point is he not? You know, this is the conundrum that Kirk faced with Gary Mitchell. They were buds. They were pals. Gary, Gary Mitchell, Mitchell tried to kill Kirk. Gary Mitchell well, yeah. tried to kill Kirk. I mean, he actually because, very quickly evolved to something that was dangerous. Not potentially dangerous, but actively dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, Gary Mitchell got to a point with that power early on where he, 
he saw human beings as ants and he was a god. And we we say over and over again that, you know, Riker has these godlike powers. Right. So but he's using him for for good. I mean, granted, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the way that people would want it. And they, you know, each one refuses it in their own turn, which I don't buy. I really think Jordy would have kept his eyes. I really mm-hmm. think he would have. I, I just, I honestly have a hard time believing that Data wouldn't have been curious enough. Data, who when they were 300 light years from Earth, was like, well, we should look around, right? <laughs> right Data, right. who was all about curiosity, and now here's this thing that there's one way he's ever going to get it. Well, until you get to a movie where there's a weird part with Data, but there's yeah. one way that he's ever going to yeah. get this, as far as he knows. And he's like, mm, no, I'd rather wonder forever. Yeah. For as long as my positronic brain whirls in my head, do they whirl? I don't know. I picture a gyroscope in there for some reason. <laughs> it's just it's gears and watch parts, kind of like Roby. So, yeah, a little yeah. tiny steam engine, you know, <laughs> in his head. I don't right. know. I'm just I. We're jumping to. I, I keep jumping to the end, and I keep saying I don't want to talk about it until we get to the end. Can we do the Shakespeare off? Let's do it. All right. All right. Um, the funny thing about the Hamlet quote um, mm-hmm. that that Picard does is if Q had just picked up the next line where Picard mm-hmm. left off, uh, then the Hamlet quote actually would have made Q's case, right? Yeah. Yeah, so what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty and form and moving, um, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. That's where Picard stops. And then I honestly expected Q to say, um, um, uh, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? I mean, you know, Picard's like, yeah, we're going to be awesome. Woo, look at us. We're going to be like you. And then and then I, I kind of wanted Q to just go, hey, what? how does the rest of that go? Do you remember? No. <laughs> Not overly familiar with Shakespeare. No, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like the quote that led, uh, that uh, which, you know, Q started Picard with, um, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then is heard no more as a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, it's really, it's, it's very interesting to me that, that in their Shakespeare off, they actually almost seem to be saying the same thing, except yeah, um, yeah. Picard was very selective in his editing. I, I admire Picard's optimism mm-hmm. in the way he recited that. Well, yeah. And it's especially great if you end it. <laughs> if you end it early. <laughs> oh, yes. Shakespeare was absolutely right uh, when he said, half of what he said. Ken and John have the most fabulous present for you, and all you have to do is accept it. No chores required. And no praise either. Wait. Where are you going? And I feel like in this episode we, we we've had this great back and forth, and and I know that you're like a you're like a racehorse just sort of stopped in the stable, even <laughs> just wanting to get to the end here, so you can bring it home for us and and tell us your your final thoughts on this episode. So I can w- have at it. I will never be able to tell you my final thoughts on this episode. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, ten years from now we'll still yeah. be talking about this episode. Oh, it's quite possible. Um. I I hate the message in this episode, or the message as I perceive it anyway. I hate yeah. it in this episode. It's the same thing I hated about this side of paradise. Um, the idea that the best thing a person can do is struggle annoys me. When he comes to everybody on the bridge, mm-hmm. 
and says, here's that thing you want. And they're like, yeah, but I don't want it this way. I want to work for it. I want to be a Puritan. I want to work six days and maybe rest on the seventh. And, you know, if we, if we come across like a society that has this, like in this side of paradise or the apple, a society where no one is struggling, where no one is slugging, where people actually have attained uh, theoretically what people are always working to attain, where one person can't tell another person what to do, this is a bad society. The moral of this episode, it seems to me, you know, accept your lot in life. Just, just, just go ahead and take it. Where you are right now is, is where you need to be. And if you think that, you know, something is ever going to come along to make it all better, nothing's ever going to come along to make it all better. It's kind of like in the movie Network. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that may all be true, but who wants to hear it? When Jordy is drunk... When Jordy is drunk, right, when all of his inhibitions are gone, when all of his walls are down, Jordy at his, uh, granted inebriated, but otherwise, you know, uh, purist on some level. Mm -hmm. It's like we said in the previous episode, you want to get to know somebody, get him drunk. When Jordy is drunk, what he wants to be able to do is see. What he wants is functioning, like naturally occurring eyesight. But when he's given that, he refuses it. I mean, why? Because he didn't earn it? Because that is something he is never going to be able to earn. He is being given something that he will otherwise never be able to have. And yet, he refuses it because it was just handed to him because he didn't work for it. It feels like, <laughs> this is so crazy. It feels like we've lost because we can't even fathom a society where all of our needs are met without worry. And when we're faced with it, we run from it. And we do that in our fantasy. Again, I'm having the same problem where in Star Trek, in Star Trek, where we're supposed to be starting off with, you know, the everything's awesome thing, we still end up in our fiction. If, if somebody says, well, here's the possibility of like everything amazing that you could ever think of ever. And, and, and the moral thing to do is go, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but I refuse. It, it feels like we've been duped. It feels like to not even be able to consider that. And I know people write to me angry. People write to me angry about how poorly utopian societies have gone in the past. And I understand in this world, in this existence that we have currently, a lot of utopian or theoretically utopian societies have gone poorly. I don't pretend that they could all work perfectly. But if we can't even think about the possibility of it, then it feels to me like we've lost. I often quote song lyrics for fun. Uh, this actually put me in, in mind of uh, of the great philosopher Sting, uh, you know, back when he was still fun and had the ability to crush your mind grapes at the same time. Um, uh, poets, priests, and politicians have words to thank for their positions, words that scream for your submission. And no one's jamming their transmission because, of course, it was the early 80s and it has to be a little techno, right? Or a little technology there. It, it feels to me that's like that's what this is. When we finally come to a place, even in our fiction, where it's like, ah, we, we have now attained that thing, then the message is, oh, but you didn't work hard enough for it, so you really you shouldn't take it, should you? You shouldn't take it, right? You need to work for your sight that you'll never be able to have. You need to work to be human in a way that you never will be able to. You, you can't have nice things <laughs> <laughs> unless... You know, you blood, sweat, and tears for them. And then maybe when you're 65 or 67, depending on, you know, when the retirement age, when you finally get to that age, or 72 by the time some people listen to this now, or who knows, down the road, basically when you're close to dying, then we might let you relax. And, that, mm -hmm. and, it, it just, it, and that's all I kept picking up on this episode. That's all I kept getting in the end of this episode. No, Riker, you can't have that. Well, what am I doing wrong? Well, nothing, really. <laughs> But you might. And so, come on, don't you feel bad now because you tried to be nice to people with these infinite powers that you had? 
yeah, I actually do feel kind of stupid because I am your subordinate. I mean, it just, it just, it, ugh. I don't know if you can tell, but it kind of made me a little bit cross. Really? Interesting. Yeah. How about you? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, what about, wait, before we get to that, what about just as an episode? How do, how do you feel this holds up? I mean, uh, 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 you're right about the wallpaper in the hallway. That's got to go. Oh, it's um, crazy. If we could start editing Denise Crosby out of episodes at this point, and it's not her personally, I, I'm mm-hmm. sure she's fine. She was given absolutely nothing to work with, and she does the best job that she can. But when you're given nothing to work with, there is very little that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> Q's a little over to the top, but I mean, honestly, I get so caught up in the message in this episode that I can't even bother to worry about that. I, I thought Riker laughing was actually kind of funny. The the animal things attacking them, eh, they they seemed a little, I don't know. I I don't even want to bother with whether or not the production of the episode holds up because I'm so angry about the message. Yeah, that's me. Interesting. Okay, well, I'll I'll take the opposite approach here. I'll say that you know, as an episode, uh, as a production, uh, no, no, this, this doesn't work for me. I, I don't think it holds up. The the wallpaper absolutely. Just every time I saw it, <laughs> it was, was like cringe. a Holiday Inn, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, it was like a, it was like a late eighties, early nineties, but hadn't been decorated since the mid eighties Holiday Inn. Yeah, you, you know, it's kind of odd that this is actually we haven't talked about uh, the version of the show that either of us is watching the way that we did when we were talking about TOS because with TOS it was a much more dramatic change I, I've been going back and forth between the high def version and the standard def version mm-hmm. uh, when we prep for our shows this may be one of the only times that I, I would say that the standard def version I prefer over the high def version uh, just because the lighting the set details that wallpaper um, Having a muddier, blurrier picture <laughs> improves this episode. That's kind of um, awesome. Universal Studios back in the 70s and early 80s when they were producing a lot of TV, like $6 million man and stuff like that, they would light everything exactly. And I realize this is not a Universal Studios show, but that same technique bled over into a lot of other shows. <laughs> you just light everything as bright as you possibly could so you can move the cameras wherever you want. And... This episode felt like that. So there's absolutely no subtlety. There's nothing cinematic about it. Um, so all those things drove me nuts. However, as a story, I'm, I'm kind of glad to be back on this familiar ground of looking at the idea of of power and temptation. You know, th- these are themes that we've talked about in Star Trek before. Have and we? <laughs> every now and then. Um <laughs> So as a story, I don't think it's really that bad. It's just that it feels kind of dated. And, you know, again, as a story, you go, well, maybe in different hands, this would have been written a little differently. Can I, I've got a quote here from Gene Roddenberry, quotation rather to be correct, uh, that is going to drive you nuts. Okay. You ready? Sure. All right. The Great Bird of the Galaxy said, quote, it is the struggle itself that is most important. We must strive to be more than we are. It does not matter that we will not reach our ultimate goal. The effort itself yields its own reward. Um, I, and, and I might argue that that would be true today. The problem that I have is Star Trek keeps giving us these situations where there is no downside. Look, I mean, what, mm-hmm. what keeps us from killing the guy next door and taking his television? It's a social contract. 
right? Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to feel good about that. Plus, I'm going to end up in jail. So instead, what I will do is I will try to find a way to make a few extra bucks. I'll save some money and I'll buy that television. And I will have struggled so I can sit there with 50 inches of, you know, desperate housewives of Albania, <laughs> you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week staring right at me. That's a very different thing than if aliens came down and said, you want a big TV? Here's a big TV. Am I really going to go, mm, no, I need to work for it. The struggle is, is, is that right now because, because the, the alternative in the societies where we live today are, are, are reprehensible. They are screwing over your fellow man. They are beating up another person because you want what they have. They are, they are lying, cheating, and stealing. What, what, uh, the stories that we keep coming up against, though, are things where there's absolutely no downside. And, and, then, well, and then people will argue about, well, but they're not struggling. Well, they don't have to. We have to right now. We, we need to right now. I'll, I'll put it a different way. Somebody who's born into a lot of money, generally speaking, those people don't think, yeah, but I'm going to throw all this money away because I need to work for you know, my money. I mean, people who are born into situations, and this is why I did poets, priests, and politicians, people who are either born, born into situations or find themselves in certain situations tend to be okay with other people having to struggle. They are not, generally speaking, all about themselves having to struggle. They are not, generally speaking, all about themselves having to start over. And it's very interesting that most of the messages that we get, most of the messages that roll down the hill are about how you need to work really hard to get up to the hill. Well, from here, it looks like there's plenty of room on top of the hill, and it looks like there would probably be an easier way to get to the top of the hill, and it looks like there's a lot of neat stuff once you get up to the top of the hill. Yeah, but there's no shortcut up the hill, pal. Oh, I know there's a, there's a chairlift that you've seen people take, but no, you walk, you climb, you struggle, maybe you'll get to the top of the hill. In the meantime, I'll tell you, it's pretty awesome up here, so uh, maybe work a little harder instead. I mean, there's, I think it, there's not... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I think there's something a little bit different about this, though, because in a certain philosophical point of view, yeah, I do agree with you, but <laughs> let's let's look at, at what is given in this episode. Okay, Riker, who we agree is is a moral, compassionate human being um, who would theoretically act compassionately given these powers. He's the only one given this. And we are going on the assumption that all of his actions with this godlike power have the most and the best benefit for everyone. Mm-hmm. But he is the one who is deciding how those powers get used. He's the only person deciding who the, how those powers get used. Mm-hmm. It, and there is something to be said here about learning your way into that process. So – Here's Riker on day one without the powers. Here's Riker on day two with all these powers. Go. If I handed you the keys to, you know, the, the nuclear nuclear launch codes, okay, mm-hmm. and just said, here, now you've got all this power. Go to it. You didn't need to learn your way into what do these things do. What are the consequences if I use them? What, what's the, the other guy on the other side of the planet doing with his I, I think there is something here about at least having that check and balance, getting yourself into that situation. We're looking at a more advanced, hopefully a more benevolent, hopefully better off world by looking at Star Trek. They're showing us the, these technologies, these abilities, and, and these motivations that are beyond where we are now. But then you take Riker and you displace him by by Q's words, by eons of of evolution, by eons 
of, of learning and a power differential. And when you hand one person that, even with the best of intentions, I still have to wonder what the, what the outcome would be for, for everybody. He's still making an assumption that, well, I know what's best. And I think that's where we, we run into a problem with this, uh, with, with the idea here. You know, I, I, I do agree with you that, yeah, if we're putting too much emphasis just on the idea of struggle for struggle's sake, then that might be a problem. But I don't think the struggle here is just the struggle for struggle's sake. I think the idea here is learning yourself into a position where you then don't abuse the power yeah. or, or abuse the, uh, uh, the gift. I disagree. See, I, see, I'm not even seeing the message of this coming from Riker or the decisions that Riker makes. I'm seeing the message of this coming from the fact that Jordy doesn't want eyes anymore. He doesn't want eyes anymore because, well, because he doesn't like the way that he got the eyes. So he's not. Yeah, gonna do he doesn't that. like what Riker's. And, and Data doesn't want to. No, he doesn't like owing it to Q, and it does that hmm. part doesn't matter. But whether he likes what Riker has become or not, so what? There's nothing in it. I mean, there's nothing that. What's ingrained in all of these people is that they can't, it can't just be handed to them. And I'm not saying that everybody should walk around expecting things to just be handed to them, but I have a problem with every time we find what seems to be some sort of perfect society, the thing that stops Star Trek every time is the fact that we didn't work for that thing or that nobody's working anymore. Go back to the apple. Go back to this side of paradise. Oh, the real tragedy is they were sitting around having a good time. That was the real tragedy. They were sitting around having a good time. They weren't working anymore. They were sitting around enjoying life. They were going to live forever because they were being healed. They were in a place where there was no war and there was nobody bothering them. Yeah, but nobody and asked them what they wanted. that is just wrong. Well, and this is just going back to that whole thing. It, including, it, including the spores. It is the same thing every time, though. Okay, go to the Apple then. Somebody set up Vol. Somebody decided long ago, Vol, so long ago that nobody even remembers how long ago. My assumption was that they actually did that for themselves, that they set that whole thing up for themselves and, 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 and they're fine you. and yeah. they're happy and ugh, but you know you're not working for your happiness well their ancestors did however many thousands of years ago but kirk gets there and it doesn't look right to kirk so that's just not going to work that's ingrained in everybody's everything going forward again i agree with wesley you should actually want to grow up but when i was 15 i don't know that i would have made the choice of no nah, i want to i i want my pimples back i want to <laughs> i want to not be strong and i want to be kind of scrawny you know i i don't know that i would have made that choice i get it when wesley makes that choice all data wants we have seen in these nine episodes i guess eight or nine episodes all data wants is to be human or to understand humanity in a bigger way anyway and I, I find it hard to believe, unless there is some 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 almost sadistic thing in his programming, and that's my worry too. That we've got this sadistic thing in her programming that we're going to be like, oh no, it's no. I've been told too much though that it can't be good. It can't be good. It can be good for like a minute, but it can't be good. So it must be bad. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shun it. And it it, it troubles me that even even in fantasy time, we're still like yeah now. Let me let, let me rewind here for a moment just to say that, uh, first of all, remember that Vol was trying to destroy the Enterprise. And, the Enterprise and had of, no business there. If the Enterprise had just turned around and gone away, it wouldn't have mattered. Okay. And, and second of all, second of all, I'm hoping that maybe in a couple hundred years, the, the feeders of Vol will go, you know what we really need? We, we need a godlike machine that will take care of us and that will build another Vol. And, and maybe, maybe they'll put up the, uh, the pylons outside their planet to say – our vol will destroy you if you get too close. So please stay away. 
All right. I went went back to the poem, um, All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace, um, (laughs) when I was preparing for this episode, but it's kind of a wacky poem. Anyway, go ahead. Let's see that, you know, Wesley is smart enough to realize, well, that the writers are smart enough to put the words into Wesley's mouth, that he wanted to earn his adulthood on his own. He wanted to follow kind of the natural order of things. Now, if Riker goes around to the rest of the ship with his godlike powers and all those other children running around and all of them say, yeah, I'd like to be 25 years old and have a lantern jaw and a cool sweater, (laughs) then he's just going to turn. Well, hey, that's what you want. So, all right, here you go. We're going to... uh, we're going to turn every other kid that, into that because that's what the kid wants. That is not okay. There is no indication that that is actually what would happen. First of all, I don't think that I think Riker is smart enough to know that a five-year-old does not get what a five-year-old wants. Wesley, we are given to understand is more mature, even though he doesn't seem like it on screen. He's more mature than a lot of kids his age. And he's certainly smarter than he's smarter than most anybody else on the enterprise at that point. I don't, I don't get the sense that Riker, first of all, was going to go around and be Santa Claus to everyone. He was actually, I believe what Q said was, don't you want to show your love to your friends? He wasn't mm-hmm. saying, don't you want to, you know, don't you want to go be the candy man for everybody on the, uh, on the Enterprise at this point? It, to, to draw out the worst possible scenario, I mean, just because, I mean that, that just strikes me as living into the fear. That just strikes me as living into the fear. I mean, that we've all been programmed to, apparently, I don't know, maybe it's part of our insidious programming, that we've all been programmed to think, oh, well, no. If, 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 I mean, there are some things, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. The problem that I have is when Star Trek sets up something that is just that good. It is just so good, and it's true. We run. And that's, that's the part. Or, or we stop other people from having it. And that's the part that bothers me. But I think it's a, a again, huge we will price. have we will have this discussion. Well, uh, okay, I, I understand <laughs> you think there's a huge price. I'm saying every time they set it up and say, "Look, no price," we still say, "Oh no, but there's a price." Uh, look, I, he, I understand he, he you think that. I understand you think that. And guess what? We have to end this show because seriously, we will do this for an hour because I think this, this seriously is a loop. No, really, if you go yeah, back and yeah, play yeah. other episodes, this is a loop that you and I will get stuck in. Ad nauseum. I yelled at a guy last time we were in Vegas. <laughs> I yelled at a guy. And and we're still pals. We, we we were cool afterwards, but we got into this conversation and you weren't that guy. I think you were there. I think so too. But I yelled yeah. at a guy. I mean this I'm I understand what everybody is saying. I disagree with what everybody's saying. I think a lot of people understand what I'm saying. I think most everybody disagrees with what I'm saying. So, you know, we can – why don't we just play this episode the next time we come across this theme? <laughs> because I feel certain we will come across this theme again. Lord knows we keep hitting it like a speed bump so far. Well, Ken, I love our conversations. I do and too. I, I do and too. and I, I love it when other people join in as well. I, I don't like that. that part so much. <laughs> yeah, you do. You love it. <laughs> All right, I well, love I'm it. I'm going to remind people how to join us. Uh, they can join in by visiting us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. You can reach us in all three places by typing in Mission Log Pod. You can call us and leave a voice message at three two three five two two five six four one. Old-fashioned email, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We also have our website, missionlogpodcast.com, where you can join in and uh, check out the discovered documents and all kinds of other information about the show. And we have two distributors who carry our show in addition to our own website, trekmovie.com and trekfm, which can be found at trek.fm. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log or to, uh, to torture Ken further. 
Yeah, that, that, that'll be fantastic. I'm really excited, John. Next week, we're going to heaven. I'm sorry, haven. Next week, haven. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Worst sex scene ever. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so weird and uncomfortable. And It wasn't even that weird and uncomfortable, honestly, yeah, until, until they were like, just, so like, you're talking about sex? And he's like, this is sex. Is and sex, yeah. He's like, yeah. yeah. No. 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 no not no really. You. I'd rather have Ferengi sex, honestly. <laughs> and I'm not that into it. All right. Yeah. I'm going away now. Bye. Okay, bye. And transmission. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.